And now, The Mentors, one of the most popular and unique shows on the radio today. Each week, one of our four remarkable CEOs, including Tom Lord, John Phillips, and Rick Brutico, will challenge your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their success and for consistently putting people first, treating employees and customers with respect, and helping others succeed, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Now, here's your mentor. Welcome. I'm Tom Laurie, and I will be your host today. Thank you for joining us. Uncertainty and the discomfort which accompanies it are inevitable in each of our lives. The central question then is not how we avoid uncertainty and discomfort, but how do we embrace it? Today, Northern California radio and television news veteran and a national spokesman for obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD, Jeff Bell will be joining me to tackle this most important subject. Jeff is the author of When in Doubt, Make Belief, which provides an inspired approach for all of us to living with uncertainty and doubt by embracing it. Listeners in Northern California will instantly recognize Jeff's voice as he hosted the afternoon rush hour news, weather and traffic on KCBS for 18 years. Jeff, welcome to The Mentors. Tom, it's so good to be with you. Thanks for having me on the show. As you know, we all from time to time face uncertainty and anxiety. What is it that makes you uniquely qualified to talk about this? Hmm. I like to say my expertise is in doubt, which is the perfect double entendre, of course, right? I've got a lot of expertise in the area of uncertainty and navigating it because of my history with OCD. But because I have OCD, I also have to question the veracity of my statement that I just made, that I am an expert in doubt. So. Um, I've lived a lot of years with the quote-unquote doubting disease, OCD. And exactly what is OCD for the audience? Yeah, OCD is a brain disorder. It is marked by obsessions and compulsions. Um, Obsessions are these distressing what-if questions that literally get stuck in the brain of somebody with OCD. Compulsions are somewhat ritualistic behaviors or or rituals that we start uh, taking on in an attempt to escape from the discomfort of those obsessions. So if my obsession is, what if I didn't lock the door? The compulsion might be, I'm going to check that door over and over again. Uh, OCD affects roughly one in 100 adults or roughly two to three million adults across the United States. And it is highly treatable, but it is also often chronic. And it's crippling. It can be crippling, especially untreated. I remember when you first uh, talked to me about OCD years ago, when we first uh, met, you told the story. I mean, you mentioned this thing about, did you uh, lock the door and you'll check over? But the way you told it was so dramatic. You'd get in the car, drive down the block and say, did I lock the door? Come back, check it, find out it's locked. Then you get in the car again, drive down the road and come back. I I, I think that really emphasizes how dramatic this whole uh, disease is. Well, you know, it's so interesting for more than a decade now, I've been asking audiences across the country this question. How many times in the past, say, year have you driven away from your house and thought to yourself, did I unplug the curling iron or waffle iron or coffee machine, whatever the case might be? And if people are being honest, just about everybody in the, hand, in the room will raise their hand and say, yeah, I've, I've wondered about that as I've left my house. It's human nature to have these sort of what if questions. 
it'll also ask them, well, how many of you actually turned back from, from your uh, trip to work and went back and double checked on that? And again, almost to a person, people will cop to the fact that they've gone back and checked uh, that they have done something or not done something. The distinction is those of us with OCD can never be satisfied with one check. We'll drive off, go back and check the appliance. Think to ourselves, I can go to work now because I've seen that the appliance is unplugged. Drive off and then about halfway to work for maximum inconvenience. The thought pops back in our head. Well, maybe I checked the wrong appliance. Maybe I didn't really see that. And we'll go back and check again and again and again, because you really can't reason yourself out of an OCD episode. I like to say that intellect is the bullied little brother of emotion and OCD is driven 100% by emotion. And what has been your journey uh, with OCD? I, I know you've battled this since childhood. Yeah, my earliest memories, Tom, are of what I now know to be OCD ruminating. Um, I remember walking down a, a busy street with my sister and my mother when I was about seven or eight years old. Car drove by, kid leaned out the window to yell hello to me. I didn't know who the kid was, and that might not bother most people, but it bothered me greatly. And I asked my mother and my sister if they knew who that was, and they said no, they weren't paying any attention. And the next day I went to school and I asked my buddies, you know, hey, Steve, was that you? Hey, Tom, Mike, nobody copped it waving to me the day before. And that night and the following nights, I found myself squeezing my eyes shut in bed and replaying the sequence in my head. I could see the car going down the road. I could hear the kid yelling hello to me, but I couldn't figure out who it was. And night after night, Tom, I did this little ritual. I just certainly wouldn't have called it that back then, but of mentally replaying the sequence, trying to remove the uncertainty because uncertainty is uncomfortable. It provokes anxiety. And one night my mom came into the room and said, why are you still awake? And I said, I can't figure out who it was. And she says, who, what was? And I said, the kid on San Mateo Avenue. And I could see the lights sort of coming together from my mother and, and, and being very confused. And she said, were you concerned that this kid was trying to scare you some way or, or otherwise disturb you? And I said, no, because then why is it so important to know? And I remember thinking to myself, I don't know why I need to know, but it sure feels like I do. I think that was my first sort of reckoning with OCD, realizing that something was amiss. So that was the earliest part, and it just it grew from there in my early 20s. But I, uh, as I read your bio, apparently you had a little bit of a respite from this when you were in high school and college, and then it came back, right? It, I, I had what I called my normal years, and I've, I've stopped using that term because I've come to find that nobody has, quote, unquote, normal mental health. We've all got our quirks and our challenges. But I had my non-OCD years, about eight of them, high school and college. And then in my late 20s, uh, the disorder kicked in in a big way. Um, I can remember very clearly how that happened. I was uh, going to a 49ers football game, was very excited about it. A buddy of mine had got tickets for us. I parked about a mile away to be to avoid the cost of parking at the stadium parking lot and about halfway to the parking lot or from the parking, uh, my parking spot to the stadium, this thought entered my head. What if you didn't set the parking brake? And I remember thinking to myself, well, that was an odd thought, um, but it was disturbing. And so I walked back to my car, took all that time to walk an extra half mile, walked back to the car, saw that the parking brake was in the upright position through the window, felt better, went back started to head back to the stadium again about halfway there for maximum inconvenience 
The doubt bully, as I now come to call that voice of doubt, tapped me on the shoulder and said, you looked in the window, but are you sure that parking brake is really set? So I went back and checked again, and you see where this is going. I missed the entire first quarter of that Niners game, um, and I had no idea why I was doing this. I mean, one of the hallmarks of OCD, one of the kind of the cruel twists we might call it, is that those of us who battle these obsessions and compulsions are acutely and painfully aware of how ridiculous they are. And yet it's the emotion that's bullying us around. Well, we're going to come back and talk some more about the cycle and solutions. And we're uh, with veteran newsman and radio personality, Jeff Bell. And we're talking about navigating crippling uncertainty and doubt. Go to our website, thementorsradio.com and click on list of shows to listen to past shows. Subscribe while you're there so you do not miss any future shows. This is Tom Laurie, and you're listening to The Mentors Radio Show. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I'm with veteran newsman and radio personality Jeff Bell, who is the National Spokesman for Obsessive Compulsive Disorder, OCD, and the author of a breakthrough book, When in Doubt, Make Believe. Remember, you can also listen to the show or any previous show via podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, Google, and more on any device, anytime. Subscribe at TheMentorsRadio.com. So what is the, um, I guess some of the treatments? I mean, so somebody, how do they get diagnosed and then what, what follows from that? Yeah, it, it, it's a great question, Tom, and I'm glad you asked it because I was misdiagnosed a couple of times. Um, and this was going back, you know, 15, 20 years, and it was OCD was less a part of our vernacular than it, than it is today. But still, I hear about people being misdiagnosed. And one of the things that we should really stress about OCD is it is a disorder. The D stands for disorder. And I, I put that out there, Tom, because oftentimes today people will talk about OCD and use it as an adjective for or as a synonym for um, anal retentive or fastidious. Huh. You'll sometimes hear somebody say, oh, my boyfriend is so OCD about cleaning his car. Well, what they mean is he's so fastidious or anal retentive and he may or may, or may not have OCD, but OCD is something more than a personality quirk. It is a brain disorder. So when I finally got to treatment, I, I learned that the process for treating OCD is something called exposure response prevention. And it is a form of cognitive behavioral therapy. I jokingly have called it torture therapy over the years. I'm not going to lie. It's very difficult work because you're essentially being asked to sit with your worst fears. But what you're doing is you're learning to acclimate to the fear. And let me give you a great analogy here. This comes from a wonderful book called Freeing Your Child from OCD by Dr. Tamara Chansky. And she asks us to think about when we were kids and we got into a cold swimming pool. The water is really cold and our brains are shouting at us, get out, get out, get out. But we're kids, so we splash around the pool and the water warms up. Well, did the water really warm up? Of course not. Well, what happened? We got used to it. We acclimated to it. We habituated to it, as the clinicians might say. Those of us with OCD, to play out this metaphor, keep getting out of the pool of cold water because it's so uncomfortable before we allow ourselves to acclimate to it. We think we can't sit with that anxiety because it's so uncomfortable. We keep getting out of the pool where if we had just stayed in that pool a little bit longer, we would have habituated to that anxiety. So ERP, Exposure to Response Prevention Treatment, is all about exposing someone to their triggers, whether that's contamination or perfection 
or social uh, anxiety, and then preventing the ritualistic response to that. So rather than turning the car around and going back to check, I'd sit with the anxiety and I'd learn to habituate to it. And you do this on a hierarchy, Tom. So you start with a lower fear and work your way up to a higher fear. But working with the trained professional, you learn to habituate to your own anxiety. And OCD, or let's say it's a disorder, but there's a continuum, isn't there? Uh, I'm, I'm thinking most of us face anxiety at different times or great uncertainty. And I would imagine there are lessons for all of us that we can learn uh, from what you've learned over the years and apply them to our own lives. It sounds like I, I know I, I work in the world of uh, building companies, young companies, and there's a great deal of uncertainty. And what I've had to do over the years is learn how to embrace it. So, I mean, I, I somehow I take lessons from what you've learned uh, on a you're on the other end of the scale, but maybe you could talk a little bit about us everyday people. And before we do that, let's just reset for everybody. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show, and we're with former KCBS veteran newsman Jeff Bell. Yeah, Tom, so another great question, and you touched on something very important that I like to call the uncertainty paradox, which is this. The only way to effectively navigate uncertainty is to embrace uncertainty, not to not to keep getting out of that cold swimming pool, but to stay in it, to embrace it. And I, I found it very fascinating over the years that I, I researched this for when in doubt, make belief. We all have quirks. We all have challenges with anxiety. Almost to a person, people find anxiety very discomforting or uncomfortable. And because of that, almost everybody takes some unhealthy measures to try to rid themselves of doubt. I call them trapdoors in the shadow of doubt. But let me draw a distinction between healthy doubt and unhealthy doubt. Healthy doubt is intellect-based doubt, and it's, uh, it serves us well. It's based on reason, logic, and rational deduction. It tends to prompt our curiosity and our caution, and it leads us to act with doubt in a constructive way. That's the intellect-based doubt or healthy doubt. Fear-based doubt, on the other hand, is based on illogical and black and white assumptions, and it tends to spike our anxiety. It leads to increasingly depressed or distressing what-if questions, and it compels us to act or avoid acting in a fashion that others might find excessive. And the distinctions there are really important because healthy doubt helps us get through our day. You know, it, it, it keeps us from walking across the street on a red light, for example. But unhealthy doubt gets into a level of dysfunction for people dealing with anxiety. What I've come to find out is that just about everybody has their quirks. You know, one of the most common questions I get, Tom, is I do X, Y, Z. I line up the soup cans in my kitchen in a way that all the labels face out. Is that OCD? Well, not necessarily. People I've come to find have quirks. And so I usually throw back a couple of questions at them. Does this particular pattern get in the way of your day? And to what degree of anxiety or, or, or misery would you be in if you couldn't perform that particular ritual, that is lining up your soup cans? And most people say, oh, it doesn't get in the way of my day. And no, I don't do it. It doesn't bother me to the extent that it, you know, it, it increases any anxiety. It's just something I like to do. That is just normal quirk. The level of OCD, clinically, uh, clinically diagnosed OCD, would be when these patterns get in the way of our day and they get in the way of our doing what's best at a given moment. And that's when we start getting into clinical OCD. So I don't believe that everybody has a touch of OCD, but I think the reason it's so relatable is that 
just about everybody has some unhealthy doubt and goes about trying to get rid of it um, in some counterproductive ways as well. And what are some of the trapdoors? Yeah. So these are trapdoors in the shadow of doubt. And the shadow of doubt is what I metaphorically describe that place where it's cold and, and um, lonely. And we often feel very scared because we're kind of consumed by our doubts. And the, the trap doors are these false exits from this metaphorical shadow of doubt. And they include the way I define them as checking, reassurance, seeking, ruminating, protecting, fixing, and avoiding. Those are all ways that we try to get ourselves out of anxiety, and even on a day-to-day -day basis that can be very counterproductive. So, for example, in the business world, we often talk about um, – Analysis paralysis, I'm sure that's a term that you've used in your CEO work there, Tom. We get to the point where we're so afraid of making the wrong decision that we get caught in this analysis paralysis of checking and rechecking and re-rechecking everything, when in fact, at some point, you got to pull the trigger on that decision, right? So that's just a small taste of where we fall into a trap door when we're in that shadow of doubt, and it's more difficult to get back out without using our healthy doubt as opposed to our unhealthy doubt to navigate the path. And I think I'm going to go to break so we can take a little more time in the next segment. I want to talk about uh, your four principles and making belief, which is a way out and a way of overcoming. And these are, again, principles, I think, that can apply to anybody, uh, even those that may not have OCD but have a lot of doubt and uncertainty. So we're going to come back in a few minutes uh, with after a short break. We're with veteran newsman and radio personality Jeff Bell, and we're talking about navigating crippling uncertainty and doubt. Remember, you can listen live to our Saturday broadcast anywhere in the world by going to San Francisco 860 The Answer or to iHeartRadio. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio Show. And now... Back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laura, and I'm with veteran newsman and radio personality Jeff Bell, who is the national spokesman for obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD, and the author of his breakthrough book, When in Doubt, Make Believe. So making belief, that's where we're at. We've talked about doubt. Uh, let's talk a little bit about belief and standing up to the doubt bullies and Learning to believe in ourselves. I think that's really the uh, the solution, uh, the, the breakthrough solution that you've outlined in your book. So talk about the uh, the process, the principles, and a little bit about your belief pyramid. Yeah, so the belief pyramid is literally a cardboard pyramid here. I'm going to show you a picture of it. I know the radio listeners can't see it right now, but I, I constructed this out of cardboard years and years ago when I had this, this notion that belief really is the three-sided, four-level pyramid. The three sides of the pyramid are self, other, and life. The four tiers are what I've called reverence, resolve, investment, and surrender. And I've, I've taken those four tiers and turned them into uh, – principles for this notion of making belief. And OCD is such a fascinating laboratory for this whole experiment, Tom, because those of us with the disorder are biologically predisposed to doubt. I mean, our brains work in a way that we are predisposed biologically to doubt even our, our most basic sensory input. So I like to say that if those of us with OCD can learn to believe beyond our doubts, anybody can do that. And so the four principles are reverence, resolve, investment, surrender. And I'll walk you quickly through them. The first one, reverence, is really about coming to see the universe as friendly. 
And it sounds sort of namby-pamby, but it's really a, a, a very powerful tool that we can do to make that choice to see the universe as friendly. Of course, we can't prove that, but we can make the choice to see it that way. OCD would like us to believe that the world is out to get us. And so this is a, a pragmatic way of turning that around. Albert Einstein is said to have remarked that the single most important decision any of us will ever make is whether or not to believe that the universe is friendly. So we're in good company when we bring in Albert to talk about this as well. He's also said to have remarked that there are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle and the other is though everything is a miracle. So it all starts for me by choosing willfully to believe that the universe is friendly, even though I can't prove it. I'm making that choice. And from there, I embrace the possibility that this moment has. I affirm my universal potential. We move on to the second key, which is resolve. And this is putting commitments ahead of comfort and keeping sight of the big picture and the greater good. And the greater good is something bigger than my own fear and doubt-based concerns. It serves myself and my with a capital S, and it serves others in, in meaningful ways as well. And then... I borrow from Stephen Covey. I know you're a Stephen Covey fan as well. Um, he talks about the power of proactivity to practice willfully inserting our freedom to choose between stimuli that we're confronted with and responses to them. One of my favorite quotes comes from Viktor Frankl. I'm going to look at my wall right now, look away from the camera for a second. So I've got it on my wall that says this between stimulus and response. There is a space, and in that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. And that's so powerful for me that I can choose not to do my compulsions. All of us can choose not to take those trap doors as false exits from our own anxiety. We can choose instead to sit with that anxiety. And then we picture the possibility of, of doing this, and we act from abundance in ways that empower and then finally, we move on to the fourth tier, the fourth principle, which is surrender. That's about accepting and letting go of what we can't control and allowing for bigger plans than our own to unfold. If the universe is friendly, then perhaps there are bigger plans that we're not privy to. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. We are with former KCBS veteran newsman, Jeff Bell. Well, yeah, th those are just terrific. And, um, you know, Victor Frankel's comment about stimuli and response, it's so true. I've heard that phrase different ways, like our life is determined by that gap yeah. between stimulus and response and how we respond. And uh, it's such an important thing. And the, um, you know, what uh, Covey said, all of that is so true. And, and uh, Frankel or Covey was also a big fan of Frankel. So he, we're all we're both in good company. And the. Um, Acting from abundance uh, is an important – and this whole idea of seeing a miracle as we – all we have to do is go outside. I mean, we sure. probably could look inside with our family and the miracle of life, and then you look at uh, the beauty of uh, the nature and all of that. I'm a great believer. Get out for a walk. As you well know, I like to go up to Benicia and walk the – where you live and, and walk the state park and just walk along the water and look out yeah. over the, the Carquinez Straits. It's just beautiful. Puts everything in perspective, doesn't it? It does, and it's uh, very therapeutic. And the surrender, it reminds me of the serenity prayer, uh, which mm -hmm. is a famous, <laughs> well-known prayer for uh, particularly, I think it came from AA, but it's used widely, is that we control what we can control and forget about that. We can't, really. Makes such a difference to take on that, that knowing. 
So let's talk a little bit about the greater good. Maybe you could just add a few more in the universe uh, and that's available to each of us. I think those are keys to all of this. Yeah. So the greater good is a concept that I believe taps into the power of purpose and service. If we follow as motivators fear and doubt, we look at choices as good and bad based on whether or not they bring us comfort. Doubt and fear would like us to believe that a good choice with air quotes around it is one that reduces our anxiety. It brings us comfort. And a bad choice is one that makes us sit with that anxiety. I had to learn to introduce greater good choices into my decision making because I kept looking at the distorted good versus bad. Greater good for me is what we get when we follow purpose and service as motivators. And purpose and service lead us to this greater good choice that is bigger than our fear-based doubts and in some ways empowers others while empowering ourselves as well. Empowering others we do through service. Empowering ourselves is that sense of purpose we get through that service that we provide. And what I've come to do is learn how to shift my thinking from quote-unquote good versus quote-unquote bad to quote-unquote good versus greater good. And I've learned that I can willfully choose to pursue the greater good. And by tapping into that sense of purpose and service, I can do things I couldn't do without that that shift. And there was a quote I found in your book that I love. It's the purpose of life is a life of purpose. Yeah, I can't claim that one, but it sure is powerful. I don't recall where I ran across that one, but it sure is powerful. Uh, what is, where is it? What's the website where people can learn more about obsessive compulsive disorder? Yeah. Th- thanks for asking, Tom. The International OCD Foundation is, a, is really the international clearinghouse for OCD information. As you mentioned, I used to be the national spokesman for the OCD Foundation. I did that for about eight years and it was a, a, a wonderful time of my life. I've since retired from that role. But um, through that, I got to learn a lot about how the IOCDF works. The website is simply iocdf.org. And uh, it's a wonderful starting point for getting information about the disorder. Um, Parents can go there. Loved ones can go there. There's a special section for uh, teens and young adults. There are tools that allow you to find a therapist in your own area. Great clearinghouse of information. Well, that's great. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about what you're doing today. Uh, We're going to be right back after a short break. We're with veteran newsman and radio personality Jeff Bell, and we're talking about navigating crippling uncertainty and doubt. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio Show. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I'm with veteran newsman and radio personality Jeff Bell, who's the former national spokesman for obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD, and the author of a breakthrough book called When in Doubt, Make Believe. I'm going to get into some of the things you're doing now, but a couple of quick questions. are: What do you like to do? I mean, you're a very busy guy. What else do you like to do? Tell us more about yourself. Well, I spend as much time as I can on the bay. I very much enjoy sailing, and I've been doing as much of that as I can. I do some windsurfing. I like to write. I became a grandpa about seven months ago, Tom, and I'm loving every minute of that new role in my life. Um, and basically, I've, I've semi-retired. I've, I've retired from radio, but um, as you know, I run a nonprofit, and I'm hoping to spend about half of my week working on the nonprofit and the other half doing some freelance work in the advocacy world. 
And we're going to talk about both of those. And it, was there anybody in your uh, life and career who really made a big difference in your life and shaping your life? There have been several mentors along the way. One of them was my high school journalism teacher, John Kriska, who has since passed. But we stayed in touch for, gosh, 30, 35 years. And he he lit the, lit, lit the fire for me in terms of what being a journalist could be and, and how noble that profession can be in terms of answering questions for the public and so forth. Um, he was a big mentor for mine. Uh, Michael Moran, a former minister of mine, is also a wonderful mentor who's kind of helped me understand my spiritual framework for so much of this work that I do. And closer to home, my wife, she inspires me greatly. Um, she has been through so much with me in terms of dealing with the OCD. And this can be a horrific condition for families to deal with. Um, and she's stuck by me for so many years and I'm really grateful for her as well. So yeah, it, it, it takes a village. <laughs> it's tough for all of us. So tell us a little bit about you, you co-founded a to a Alliance. Tell us a little bit about that and your co-founder and what, what you're doing and what it's about. Yeah. So a to a is an acronym for adversity to advocacy. And this all stems from the same journey that brought me to win and doubt, make belief. When I went public with my story back in 2007, my first book, Rewind, Replay, Repeat, I discovered that the, the more I started sharing my story, the stronger I got. And it, it fascinated me, this whole notion that we help ourselves by helping others. And I came to network with a number of other advocates, some in the OCD arena, some outside the OCD arena. And the common denominator for all of us was that we were helping ourselves by helping others. And I thought, what if we could put together a nonprofit around all this? And I um, was able to link up with some phenomenal folks in a small circle of founders. who so we put this together. That was about 11 years ago now. And since that time, we've networked over 70 remarkable leading adversity-driven advocates. And we've started working on providing pathways to advocacy for others who are looking to step into advocacy. And then we also showcase the science around this because, Tom, it's really fascinating. There's this empirical body of research now about the power of purpose, the power of service, the power of resilient strategies and empathy and compassion. And so we talk to researchers about the empirical support for this notion that we help ourselves by helping others. And then we network and support these individuals who are doing it. And we've got cancer survivors who are helping other cancer survivors, folks with various forms of mental health challenges, helping others with that same mental health challenge. And in every case, they are finding that the more they do to help others with their particular cause or concern or challenge, the stronger they get. And do you have webinars or how do you do you meet? I know I went to a couple of meetings early on when you formed the group, but where are you today and what is it? How active is it? We are sort of getting the gears going again after a pandemic slowdown, like so many other nonprofits. And it was really difficult for us to move completely into the virtual world for a couple of years, which we did. But we're excited about rebuilding from there. We are hoping to do some webinars for folks looking to step into advocacy, looking to do some in-person events again, um, getting out in the community, working with some college campuses, really sort of promoting this whole notion. Again, help ourselves by helping others. Well, we'll post uh, a link to A2A as well on our show notes. And I, I think people might be also interested in what is it? What was it like for you? I mean, to be on the radio for so long, 
which is uh, legendary. Uh, what was the day like when you, I, I often wondered, I mean, you, you're on at three o'clock and you're off at seven. How many hours did you spend before you even went on to prepare? What was a day like and how did you find balance with all of that? Well, it, it's a great question, Tom. And, and part of the reason it's a great question is the answer is that radio was my lifesaver through the anxiety years, the worst of it. And, and you'll appreciate this. OCD is about obsessing about what might have happened in the past and what could happen in the future. Live radio, and you know this because you do it, is all about the present moment. And my radio hours squeezed out my OCD because I was so focused on the next interview, the next commercial, the next weather report, whatever it might be, that I didn't have time for the OCD. I literally was squeezing it out by focusing on the air duties of being an anchor in a news studio. So I like to say that radio saved my life. It, it really has been a wonderful career. I was able to spend about 30 years doing it, and um, I'm incredibly grateful for that opportunity, not only to have helped navigate my OCD, but to, just to be part of the community over all those years. And as I said, the show, you, typically you came on at 3 o'clock. And how, did you have to – when did you – was it 2 o'clock? 2 o'clock, 2 to 7. 2 to 7. Five, Five hours. hours. Yeah. Five hours shift. of broadcasting. Uh, and we get into the station at about noon and start putting our heads together and talking about the interviews we wanted to do that day and where our field reporters were going to be. Great team at KCBS. Really enjoyed working with them for all those years. Uh, well, as I said, you were legendary. And can st I still, when I turn it on, I want to hear your voice. But uh, oh, that's kind I, of get you. You, I get you now. And then you've been doing some work in the mental health area. Tell us about that with uh, McLean Hospital. Tell us about McLean Hospital and its affiliation with Harvard. Yeah, th thanks for asking. Um, my, my grand plan was to work a paid job for about 20 hours a week and spend the rest of my week working on A2A pro bono. And I was very, very fortunate to link up with the good folks at McLean Hospital in Boston. McLean has been around forever. It is the largest psychiatric teaching hospital of the Harvard Medical School System. And it's home to a number of extremely well-respected treatment programs for specific conditions. Uh, those include addiction and bipolar disorder and depression, anxiety disorders, eating disorders, and trauma. I am specifically working with McLean's education outreach team, and they do some great educational webinars, which I'm hosting these days. And I'm also working on a wonderful project of theirs called Deconstructing Stigma. And this is a campaign that... Um, puts larger-than-life photographs and stories in very public places to have people take a look at what mental health looks like and what it is about. And they've got a great installation at Boston's Logan International Airport, for example. I've walked by that one myself. It's really powerful. And told through the eyes of these participants in Deconstructing Stigma, um, the, the campaign aims to sort of challenge misconceptions of what those with mental illness look like and how their lives have been impacted by that mental illness. So I'm really thrilled to be working with them. They're, they're, they're making a huge difference in this world. And their programs are pretty much concentrated in Massachusetts and Maine. Is that where their outreach really is? Their in-person programs are in the Boston area. The Deconstructing Stigma campaign has gone international these days with pop-up exhibits around the world, which is just fascinating, a couple of places outside of the country at this point. Um, but beyond that, the webinar series is available to anyone, anywhere, of course, thanks to the power of the Internet. That's really rewarding work that you're doing. 
So we're going to come back in after a short break. We're with veteran newsman and radio personality Jeff Bell, and we're talking about navigating crippling uncertainty and doubt. You'll find all of our show notes and links at thementorsradio.com. When you're there, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of our shows. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio Show. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I'm with veteran newsman and radio personality Jeff Bell, who's the national former national spokesman for obsessive compulsive disorder, OCD, and the author of the breakthrough book, When in Doubt, Make Believe. So there are a lot of people uh, that are famous people as well that have OCD. Fairly well-known people have suffered from this. It's not just Jeff Bell. Yeah. Howie Mandel has talked about his struggles with OCD. Um, There are a number of celebrities that have gone public. And, you know, it's actually a great thing to touch on. The more that we put this out there, you know, in, in terms of society, not just OCD, but mental health challenging, mental health challenges overall, the the more we can foster discussions about these challenges and bring down the stigma around OCD and mental illness in general, because stigma is such a barrier. I mean, it was huge for me, Tom, in my early years in terms of standing in the way of my getting treatment. I, I, would, I just couldn't fathom what would happen if anybody ever found out that I saw a psychologist. I certainly couldn't have imagined that I'd be on a radio show all those years later talking to somebody about OCD and how it impacted my life. Um, stigma is real, and we need to fight it by having open discussions. We need to talk about this. We need to make it okay to talk about it. And celebrities and athletes are doing that in greater numbers these days, and that's that's huge. It is huge. And I think uh, over the course of my life, uh, as a word came into the lexicon called autism, which I never heard about when I was a kid, but it's certainly discussed today. And then you find all these people who are autistic, who are so famous and have accomplished so much. I mean, that gets back to your stigma issue that, uh, first of all, maybe the A2A part of it is that they've gone from adversity to advocacy. But uh, those of us that understand these things can be... um, dealt with and and certainly a lot of successful people can show us the way on how to do these things so i i think the stigma thing is a very important thing for all of us uh to remember um you in the course of your career you've met so many people both famous and not so famous interviewed so many people what is it that you have found in those people that have the greatest joy and life what is it what are the threads that you've seen in your work in the radio business with people what a great question um authenticity was the first thing that bubbled up for me the 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 folks that i've interviewed that just come across as authentic and well-grounded and comfortable in their own skin really are the ones that have made the most difference in in their particular arenas whatever that might be whether that's science or medicine or politics or sports authenticity is huge for me and I think positivity also is a, another big factor. I mean, that doesn't mean running around like a Pollyanna uh, type person. It, it means looking for the good in opportunities, looking for the good in people, looking for the good in this world around us. Um, those are the first two things that pop up for me. And then I guess the third one would just be action. People who do more than just talk about something, they actually do it. And what would be the advice for somebody that's listening today that We've gone through some questions that they can ask themselves, and I think I, I think I know you've got five questions in the book. But if I were to call you up and say I think I might have OCD, what would what would your first advice be to these people? How would you counsel them? 
educate yourself. You have to be your own advocate for any mental health challenge. And what I've learned largely the hard way in my early stages of getting treatment was that I had to ask a lot of questions. Again, I was misdiagnosed. um, And what things started turning around for me when I actually went to a bookstore and found a book in which I discovered myself wonderful book called The Boy You Couldn't Stop Washing. And when I picked that book up, I had been misdiagnosed twice. And for the first time ever, I realized three things. One, I'm not the only person that has this challenge. Two, there's a treatment process for it. And three, there is a name and a community around that name that's there to support me. And that was hugely important. So if somebody thought they might have OCD, the first thing I do is I point them to the iocdf.org website and say, Educate yourself. See if this sounds right. Ask questions. Don't be afraid to reach out to a professional. Go go do a screening interview with with a psychologist and see what they have to say. Um, you need to advocate for yourself and you need to push past that stigma that might be holding you back from getting the treatment and getting the answers that you need. OCD is treatable. Anxiety disorders are treatable. So many mental health challenges are largely treatable, but you need to get past the stigma to get the help that you need. Well, thanks. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we close off? Yeah, actually, there is. I want to thank you for all that you do in this world to make it a better place, Tom. And you you asked me what stands out about people that make a difference. I think you fit that profile very well. You are a very authentic person. You um, are positive and you absolutely take action with what you do. And I I salute you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, It's a high compliment, particularly coming from you. And with that, we're going to close and uh, see you again next week. Thank you, uh, Jeff, for your time and your great insights. I think you've helped a lot of people today. We've been with Jeff Bell, veteran newsman, former national spokesman for OCD and co-author of When in Doubt, Make Belief. We've been talking about how to navigate crippling uncertainty and fear. We will be posting links to Jeff's book, to the A2A Alliance, OCD, on our website, uh, which is the mentorsradio.com. That's the mentorsradio.com. When you're there, make it easy for yourself and subscribe to future shows. You can also listen to us online, any device, anytime, on any podcast platform. Join us next week at the same time for the next edition of The Mentors Radio. Until then, this is Tom Laurie signing off for today. Remember to be all you can be and keep the candle lit for all who struggle in the darkness. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.TheMentorsRadio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.